Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. I'm Joe Coldabella and we are in the Harrison Edwards Media Center at Mountain Connect in Denver, Colorado. Joining me is Brian Medford and Andrew Eubank with Vetro Fiber. Guys, welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Thanks, Joe. Great to be here. Awesome. I'd second that. Yeah. You know, you're almost a co-host with me, Brian. You've been on so many times. Andrew, this is the first time you're on the show. Um, before we sort of dive into the topic at hand, which I think is a really important one, would love if you guys could just sort of share a little bit about yourselves. All right. Yeah. Aspirational. I'd, I'd love to be a co-host someday. Uh, I want to be like Brian when I grow up. But uh, <laughs> So I, uh, I come from the ISP background. Um, right now, I'm, I'm overseeing the services and solutions group for, for Vetro Fiber Map, but uh, born and raised in telco. And I think like everybody else, it was something like responding to a Craigslist ad. Which got me into the industry. So. Really? Okay. So you were born and raised in this field. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's it's funny though. It seems as though, and I could be totally wrong. There's it seems to be there's two tracks. Mm-hmm. There are people that are lifers that have been a part of it for since uh, since they they started in the field, and then there's folks that are that are pulled into it from from all different directions. Uh, it, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like I I don't think there's a lot of established tracks. We're getting better. We're getting better in the industry as establishing those things. But I I think. A decade ago, it was exactly as you outlined it. And so you, you either know somebody or, or somebody comes and grabs you. My way into the industry came uh, a bit from exposure of my dad's career. He, he, was, a, he was a Ma Bell guy. He was with uh, Bell South for uh, more than 30 years and worked his way up from, you know, a lineman to doing government affairs uh, toward the end of his career. And, you know, as, as a teenager, he did this, was doing this cool work with the university of Louisville. I'm from Kentucky. Uh, they were doing a public private partnership to demonstrate how fiber optics could be used to support entrepreneurs in, in Kentucky. Uh, it was 40 years ago or so. That's crazy. Yeah. And so I remember going in this room, this, this building, and they had fiber optics around the ceiling, you know, lighting them up. And it was kind of decorative. It was cool. And they had mannequins grabbing onto fiber. It was kind of crazy. But just, I mean, in, in a practical sense, I got to spend time with these entrepreneurs who were like moving to this space because they had access to the cutting edge telecommunications technology and they were building their businesses. And I learned to code HTML. That was a brand new thing at the time. And they were just jazzed and excited. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I I would like to figure out how to, how to do that myself one day. So I've spent the past 22 years working on similar public private partnerships across the country. Isn't it crazy that we're still trying to solve that use case in terms of like (laughs) convincing everybody like, Hey, listen, this is like, you know, I, I tell this story often, but I think it's so important is that um, I interviewed this um, this uh, Wilson, North Carolina, and the local, um, one of the local businesses, 90% of their business was local. Mm. They get online. 90% of their business is now online. Wow. It's just incredible. What yeah. a shift. What a shift. Yeah. yeah it, it is really incredible. But we're here to talk about um, mapping, which is something that um, if you kind of walk the halls of these conferences or whatever, um, there's definitely passion for it, especially um, with challenges and um, whether or not um, this or that is right. Um, so I, I'm going to open this. This is like kind of an open-ended question. Does it all need to be mapped? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and there's so many reasons why. 
uh, first, first stab, first thought at that, right? So I'm, I'm an operations guy, like coming from a, coming from a telecom background at the end of the day, you can't just build something to a customer and then walk away from it. Like you have to go out and repair it and you have to be a good steward. You have to make sure that you're actually doing what you said you would do at the beginning of whatever process, whether it's, it's investment or whether it's a grant program, you have to actually be a good steward and operate your network. So yes, it all has to be mapped. Um, but how? Yeah, I'll just, I'll add that, I mean, for the past 20 years or so, we, we've, you know, used this generic term broadband mapping and mm -hmm. for forever that, that basically meant, you know, we, we want a map that shows us where broadband is and where it isn't. Uh, we're so far beyond that now. And to Andrew's point, yes, it, there's so much data that needs to be on a map so that we can make, you know, smart, strategic, informed decisions. And, and really now we can answer questions like, you know, who doesn't have service, not, not where, I mean, who, what homes, what businesses at what addresses don't have adequate service and, and who should, who should build that service? What should we expect it to cost? How long should we expect it to take to, to, to build out to those areas? And then the more, you know, theoretical, the, what, mm -hmm. what's going to happen once they get it? I mean, so it's, We've gotten to a place where it's much more practical and tactical, given the data that we have. But it's a it's a ton of data that has to be, to your point, Joe, quote unquote, mapped in the right in the right way. I would I would also contend that we have to be futurists with that data as well, right? So we we think sometimes narrow mindedly about servicing customers, but also what about smart traffic signals? What about, uh, you know, all of these other various connectivity things that require data, they require signal for your, for your, uh, autonomous Tesla driving down the road. Like at some point, this is, this is a multi-use case scenario. So it's not just identifying the customers we're going to serve, but also the other industry uses that we're going to serve. Great point. No, that's a great point because it's one of those things where when you hear the word map or in terms mm -hmm. of mapping, you think that it's, it's, it's finite. It's, 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 you're locked in. But these are our living documents, right? In terms of like, you'll, in fact, it'll never be done in terms of the mapping because it's just all the different things that are that are happening. Yeah, mm -hmm. to Andrew's point, I made uh, made a similar one in the session we just came out of. I mean, it, you're you're you think about you know electric poles, utility poles, light poles, uh, street lamps, rooftops. There there are uh, nodes that will go on each of these uh, you know pieces of real estate over time those need to be mapped. I mean, to Andrew's point, like that, you know, they're, they're going to offer solutions that we can, uh, we can point to today, but then some that don't exist yet. We need those in a, in a visual map so that people can gather around the map and they say, oh, here, you know, here's this new technology that we didn't know about five years ago, that if we can aggregate all these connection points, we can provide, you know, this service or this product having those visually on a map so people can see them is, is, is sort of mission critical. All right. So, and I, and I apologize if I'm being a little too rudimentary here, but I think it's one of those things where just listening to people and also civilians as well, that there, these, there's a lot of, not mystery, but there's all, I think there's a lot of confusion and a lot of things in, in regards to broadband because there's, there's so many different ways and so many different paths that people take. Um, is most of the country mapped? <laughs> well, it, it depends on, you know, what, what you're talking about being mapped. I mean, in terms of, 
where services are available, uh, we're, we're further along now than, than we've ever been uh, in terms of knowing at an address level uh, who, who should be eligible to, to receive a subsidized you know, grant to get a project built out uh, to them. Yeah, we, we, we pretty well uh, have, have a, a, a reasonable handle on that now. And, and it's because of a, a lot of effort that was done initially sort of modeling that out theoretically but then sort of then putting that data out to ISPs to say, you know, how, how right, how wrong is this? But then getting to a point with um, FCC changing how they collect data. Uh, again, that, that's changed to collecting data at an address point um, so that we, you know, have a better idea of who's serving what to whom. It, it, it almost, you could almost scale it uh, by, by levels of innovation and then levels of education, right? So I, I think Brian makes a fair point. It's, it's safe to say that, that most of the country is mapped. And now it boils down to how can we quickly and economically educate all the stakeholders on how it's mapped? Mm. That's, that's your levels of education. And then your levels of innovation is... How do we take and consolidate this and for the next use case that we don't even know about, make it just so quick to actually do something with that data, right? So we don't end up in a scenario 20 years from now where we come back and we're like, man, we disaggregated everything. We don't know where this stuff is. We're, we're going back to the drawing board. So we have to be mindful of how do we stay in this state of innovation for the next, next several generations. And so speaking of going back, sorry, I worry. might add, going back to the drawing board makes me think, I mean, just to clarify my point, mm -hmm. we never check the box. I mean, we're never done with this, right? And so we have, we have a, a level of data now that we've never had before, truly. And, it, and it's better quality data. It's far from perfect. And so that's why there's, you know, in some of these major government grant programs, there's process built in to sort of check the quality of the data, not sort of, I mean, it's, it's a multi sort of multi-level process where, you know, the government has uh, the ability to, to dip in and, and do quality checks, but really there's a call on states to manage what's, you know, been called the challenge process uh, to publish this data out to uh, constituents, publish it out to local governments, uh, to nonprofits, to other ISPs to, to then start uh, opening up the ability for them to challenge and say, that's not right. Here's why it's not right. And then have a process to adjudicate that. So, no, this is great. And I, and I hope I, I, it's one of those things as well, because when I walk through the halls here, people are running around with their hair on fire and saying, oh, it's, it's, so, it's so bad. It's so dire. But it sounds as though that there's, there's things in place. Obviously, it's not perfect. But everyone's trying to do as best they can. It's 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 not an easy sort of thing. So, speaking of the challenge process, so why is the challenge process important then? The NTIA did a great job actually when they designed this program to say we 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 want to get this money deployed and invested as quickly as possible. But but we want to make sure there's there's checks along the way. And so this challenge process is just that. It's it's it's. It's a, a pr very prescriptive way that states are, um, are, are sort of guided to allow, uh, allow others to come in and, and look at the data and, and, again, provide feedback to say that's wrong or it's right or it's, here's where it's, it's off on the, on the edges. And then to, to 
then iterate with the ISPs that have provided that data uh, to say, you know, tell us, you, you weigh in. And somebody's challenged this. Can you defend what you've told us about where you serve and what you, what you provide? Uh, and if not, we're going to change, you know, how we uh, decide to invest in, in, a, in a given area. So is it so is it sort of like the 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 uh, Cold War trust for ver- but verify? Uh, there's there's definitely some of that going on for sure. But ultimately, you know, it's one of those things as well is that someone says, "Oh, this area is served," and then you if if then you find out, um, and all this money goes away, they're not really served. Then it's like uh, the digital divide unfortunately grows as opposed to narrows. Yeah, I, I think it's something we all contemplate and dread, and um, it's it's a deeply important process. And I, I would say, with with the current round of funding and any, any future rounds of funding, it's going to require a depth of investment on those who are controlling the process um, to evaluate those challenges and to be just hyper mindful of any political aspects behind those challenges. I mean, that's that's, that's, that's the realm we live in. Tons of money, tons of politics involved. There's a lot of risk here for these uh, state broadband offices, right? I mean, some of these offices, a lot of them didn't exist a year ago, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Most of them didn't exist five years ago. And now many of them have a billion dollar mandate. Just talk to someone from Mississippi. Uh, They got $1.2 billion for bead. And they're ramping up and, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm rooting for them. That's my retirement fund. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they have to be, as Andrew was saying, I mean, they, they have to be uh, cautious while assertive. I mean, they, they, this money is on a timeline. It has to go out the door according to the, the uh, infrastructure, bipartisan infrastructure uh, law. So there's, there's a, a tight timeline for it to happen but also these checks built in. So they, they, to Andrew's point, they have to have just a high quality process uh, for allowing folks to gather around the table, making it easy for them to uh, engage in this, this map. So engage this data in a way that is meaningful, that they can provide feedback uh, you know, through, uh, and so that they, they can then make good decisions. Or, or else you're exactly right, Joe, we would get on the other side of the, the, the equation and, you know, an area that looked like it was served on the map and we didn't properly challenge it and, and it wasn't truly served, then it's not going to be served on the other end of the process. So there's, there's risk there. Fortunately, there, there, are, there are tools, there's technologies. I mean, we've, we've developed one at, at Vetro through our broadband intelligence platform. We've added a component that is a challenge portal for states to be able to use that's built on the, the frame that we, we've had in place for some other uh, state government uh, customers. Uh, but it's, it, it's that kind of high-quality tool that allows folks to engage um, in, 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 a, in a way that pr- gives them the ability to provide clear feedback. So I'm going to ask a question that's going to sound a little crazy. Is five years too short of a time? Um, you know, you're just talking in terms of these broadband offices that. Um, you know, it sounds like, wow, five years, that's a long time. But then when you've got one, two, $1.2 billion to, to spend, I, I, I don't know. I, I do not envy um, the, the process. So I don't know. I'll, 
<laughs> you guys are like laughing and smiling. Uh, I don't want to end up on a hit list. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a long time and and also a short time, right? So I'm I'm going to approach this from the ISP perspective and 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 trust Brian to fill in any blanks that I miss. Um, to plan something well uh, usually requires like a good six months to a year, and that's inclusive of like all of today's advanced tool sets. At some point, you have to get somebody boots on the ground saying like, yes, this is feasible. No, this is not feasible. And so there's this window of opportunity um, to where you're, you're making these, these like crockpot level meals in microwave time, right? And, and you have to, and, and that's the mandate in today's world. And so I, I think, I think we're seeing these these um, periods of hyper creativity, I, I would say, from the stakeholders, and we're seeing that both from from ISPs, public private partnerships, cooperatives, municipalities, and we're also seeing that from from state broadband offices saying, like, because we're in this crunch, we're going to have to not necessarily just power through, but we're going to flip the paradigm on its head, and we're going to find different ways to use these tools, and we're going to find different ways to perform analysis, and I think. Um, I think in that sense, it can be a very positive thing, but I, I think it's it's mentally, it can be mentally overwhelming for for stakeholders. So there's this there's this uh, aspect that you have to deal with of saying like, how can I take the ingredients I'm given and make a really delicious meal using it? Yeah, because you're because everyone's going to be um, flying the plane while we're building it, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it just you probably should have a plane by now is the <laughs> or at least the, the the outline the frame well and there's also the aspect that i mean five years sounds like a lot of time but everything that has to happen between now and then uh, i mean not to restate the obvious but i mean that the the idea is the the money needs to be spent by the by then so it has to be you know there have to be has to be a sort of competitive process the, the 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 data have to be adjudicated, meaning that we have to decide we have to make the data stand still about where who's eligible, what areas, what address points are eligible for grants. Then we have to the states have to have a competitive process to invite ISPs and communities to come in and sort of bid on those areas or propose you know a cost for those areas. Decisions have to be made about what's the best um, use of those funds, who's gonna who's the best provider to grant those funds to. There's going to be challenges to the challenges. There's going to be challenges once awards are made. Um, and, and so there's a lot. Then, then that money has to be uh, sort of allocated to those projects. So uh, lots, of, lots of ground to cover between here and there. And then you have to actually do something with then that money. doing something. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But you know what? It's also now, as you guys were both discussing that, I was thinking about, I think it's called the, the Parkinson's theory, where... Um, you'll basically fill in the blanks. If you give somebody three weeks to do something, they'll do it in three weeks. Mm -hmm. If you give somebody three years, it'll take them three years. So it's almost um, good that we're putting this stress on folks and on everyone um, because then it's going to get done. Obviously mistakes are going to be made. There's going to be, there's going to be, um, you know, mistakes, but hopefully um, we'll definitely have moved the ball way downfield. I'm I'm an eternal optimist, and so yes, and then I also just think we have to be mindful of. I I, I think those hidden areas that are that are coming to light they're probably not so hidden anymore. But staffing, right? I mm. I think like you have to have to have to, not just 
um, have the money to do it, but you have to have the people who are going to look at that money and use the tools and say, all right, I know what to do here. I have the end in mind. Um, and that's, that to me is, I think the biggest looming, uh, threat that I feel in the back of my head for, for providers out there or, or even governments out there is how do we staff this properly? It really is incredible in terms of literally that's what everyone is saying. And it's so funny when I, I've only been in the industry for, for about two and a half, three years. And uh, towards the, the beginning of the pandemic, there was sort of whispers like, hey, guys, <laughs> there's going to be a problem with staffing. Hey, guys, there's going to be a problem with staffing. And then it's like now it's like it's a full on battle cry. But then it's like, how do you solve it? Right. In terms of unemployment's at 3%. Yeah. And it's, and I, and I was just talking to someone else prior to this podcast and it's like, I, I don't know if the, the broadband industry does a really good job of, of sort of promoting themselves in terms of saying, Hey, listen, this is not only a job, but it's a career. Let's, let's do our best. I got to not go too negative. <laughs> negative. No, I, no, no. But, but, but here's, I mean, to Andrew's point, you have to be realistic. And so what you're, what you're framing is a, that's a decade long, um, situation it's a it's a two decade proposition of of sort of backfilling uh the 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 talent gap that we have in this space i mean it hiring people that are capable of doing a job is it's unfortunately it's a zero sum game so if we have engineers who are working on one project that that means they're not working on that project and so there are only so many of those people to go around right now lots of effort underway to 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 be creative about how we fill the gap. Uh, I'm, I tend to mention uh, Kelly Dunn, uh, who leads AmeriCrew. You know, they're, they're bringing uh, servicemen and women uh, back stateside and redeploying them to, to projects. Things like that are awesome. So awesome. Yeah. 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 In, in that vein, right, like to, to paint a rosier picture, like, yeah, it's a problem. But there's also so many people who are creating solutions for it today. And there's so many people who are saying, like, how can we take these processes and these outdated things that we've been doing with spreadsheets or or with god forbid like these these hand-drawn back of the napkin designs and they're saying like look we can save man hours and we can send qualified people out to do jobs that actually need to be done and we're, we're going to bring in people and, and get their feet in the door into the industry and, and get them started here so there's this this massive push that yeah, it's an issue, but I'm I'm hyper encouraged by the innovators in the industry. You know, and it's so true in terms of finding creative solutions. I was talking to to um, Brian Hollister with Bonfire, and he said um, he had someone um, go to the local high school to the coach and ask the coach. He's like, "Listen, obviously some of the guys are going to be going to um, college, but the ones that aren't, you know." point them out to me and there might be an opportunity for them. I mean, and just like little things like that are just phenomenal in, in terms of there's an opportunity here to solve the problem when you start at the root. I, I volunteer in various economic development uh, roles in my home hometown. And one of the things we do annually is has, have a, a job fair for middle school age kids. And this past year, we had uh, one of our local uh, fiber construction companies, uh, ISPs, uh, together at a table with, with a fiber splicer. And it was one of the more popular, popular stops on the tour. And I couldn't help it. Every time I went by and I'd see these, these, uh, young boys and girls 
splicing fiber. I was like, job for life, job for life. <laughs> I'm a, I've, I've got a group of drafters back in my hometown, actually, that works for a civil engineering company. They're like, hey, can you teach us how to design fiber? I was like, ah, absolutely. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. That's great. No, it's funny. I thought you were going to say that they, they put them all in, in, the, in the bucket trucks and sent them up top. <laughs> that would be another way to inspire, for sure. No, or it's one of those things is you bring in the VR sets, right? In terms of like, mm. hey, listen, you're going to be working with this stuff all the time. And that's like stuff to get those kids excited, which is amazing too, in the sense that middle school, right? In terms mm. of, of just like making them aware. It's like everyone knows about the doctors, the firemen um, and what have you. But it's like, hey, listen, there's a, there's a whole other world out there and there's opportunity. That's great. Well, we were just having that conversation a few minutes ago, about an hour ago. I mean, the... the Given that the, the labor shortage rates are going to go up, and that there's you know negatives to that, but for those who are qualified to do the work, that's that's going to be great. So to your point, opening eyes to that uh, could mean you know somebody could you know go to college and and pay you know whatever however many thousands of dollars a year. I have a couple in that boat now, but or they might graduate graduate high school and start making you know seventy eighty grand a year uh, in a highly technical job. Right. We we were talking about that earlier today as well. It's like, do you bring back, you know, technical schools? Do mm. they, you know, in terms of creating two tracks? I mean, my father went through a technical school, you know, he had a job for life because he had the, the hard skills. Right now it's amazing with AI. It's like a lot of jobs are going away. Not all of them, but it's one of those things where it's, it's just, you know, we've got to create different paths. To your point, Andrew, we've got to be more creative in terms of just giving so, folks solutions. I mean, even even when it comes to the mapping, right? Like that's historically a, a job that's been done by highly experienced professionals, people who who have to know the ins and outs of the geography that they're dealing with, be, because that data just hasn't been widely available for for a very long time. And so there's this been this paradigm shift in the industry, saying like, as we do things geospatially, which is how humans operate. Like you and I, when we look at things, we want to know where's where's the closest like McDonald's or the, or the closest like Taco Bell. And it's, it's geospatial. It's like, yeah, it's over there on the corner and it's the same way with fiber design. Um, and so I, th I think we are seeing the gains in the mapping world, just like these tremendous gains of saying we can bring in, I don't, I don't want to say unskilled, but less skilled labor to say you can cut the cost of this fiber build, make this a capitally reasonable fiber build with, with just a few people who are working in the right program set and push something to production that much quicker. Uh, that's, that's a massive area, I think, where we've seen improvements in the industry, even in my time. I haven't been doing it 22 years like Brian. I'm barely 22. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> but it, it, that does turn the page on or, uh, the, the whole zero-sum point I made earlier. I mean, to put a fine, finer point on your, your point on creativity and... Uh, if if those folks can come in and they can be trained on the latest technology, Joe, to your point, maybe that maybe that's in in a, in a quote unquote technical school, but it's bringing all these things together. The 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 technology that's available that wasn't av available five ten years ago. I mean, not to make this a commercial about Vetro, but I mean the 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 software that we've developed just um, allows somebody to to come in, learn a new uh, a new way of doing things that's not spreadsheet oriented. That then does make them able to apply those that know-how not just to one project in the same amount of time, but but maybe it's five projects, maybe it's ten projects. 
So that 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 is one way to to kind of flip the script. So that's a, an excellent segue in terms of the the, the talk that you guys um, just completed, seizing the opportunity, leveraging federal broadband funds. So I would love it if we could sort of just, even if we just touch on it a little bit, you know, you said that in terms of the, the write-up, it's the U.S. Treasury um, has noted that mapping and and uh, data gathering is a, a possible expense. I would love it if you could sort of unpack that because I think it's really important. Yeah, I think that, so specifically not to get too wonkish here, but that that is a learning from the last stimulus. Like, the idea of data gathering and and, and mapping, uh, the, there was the the Obama stimulus that put it in. I don't know, it was like seven billion total. But this mapping and data gathering was was sort of an administ- viewed as an administrative activity, and so it, it, in, in government speak, that meant that it could you know was in overhead, and so there's a cap on overhead, and so it be- came down to do I hire more people or do I d- gather data. And do I do mapping? And so the Treasury actually addressed that specifically and said, "Look, this is this is beyond th- this is strategic uh, activity. This is not overhead activity. You you have to do this in order for the, these programs to work properly and to be successful." So they just they they made the distinction to say we're not capping the costs of these kinds of technologies, these kinds of activities. And so basically their, their signal to the market, to the states was go invest in these uh, and, and, and pay what you, what you need to pay to have what you need to have. That's, that's awesome. No, and I really appreciate you guys sort of like breaking it down for me because I, I think you demystified a, a lot of sort of like, and maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm thick-headed, but I think that there's a lot of people who, who don't really understand the, the fundamental um, importance of data. And and itself in mapping. Yeah, uh, I just I just want Brian to explain the word wonkish. Can you uh, can you define that for me? <laughs> my my walking around state <laughs> wonky. Uh, but it's serious. It's, I mean, this is important because there's there's more data every day. There's there's more data than we can fathom. Yep. You know, nearly. And so that's is true or more true in this space as it is anywhere. Uh, and and again, more data sort of coming into the machine every day. We have to, we have to have an ability to to make sense of it and and to and sort of own it and to track it, to question it, call it into question, uh, report out on it. I mean, there there's so we're we're spending, you know, in total over the last three years, there have been multiple federal programs that have flowed out and then in, in most cases flowed down to the states. Um, I mean, we talk about bead being forty two billion. There's already been, uh, you know, probably a hundred billion spent on one way, shape, or form on broadband networks through federal funding over the last three years. There, you know, we need to know, you know, what, how well that's been done. I mean, you know, for for the sake of our next generations, the next stimulus program, whatever it may be, and so tracking that, sort of having people comply with how they report back on that. That's just going to keep producing more and more data. We have to have the ability to visualize that and understand it. Yeah, Brian uses the word data debt, and and I think that's such a good way of explaining it. Is while we are moving fast, um, we have to be obligated of knowing where we'll be next, um, and in, in in that way, just making sure that the data debt we accumulate is minimal. 
and the reporting that we have is accurate and what we display is truthful. Good, because isn't it sort of a, as you guys are both discussing that, it almost felt like a little bit of a, a catch-22, that as we build more um, uh, networks, the data will just grow exponentially. So it's almost like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's crazy how um, there's going to be more data than it's going to be, because we have that much data, we're going to have to be better at controlling it and um, understanding it. Well, Andrew made the point earlier. I mean, it's it's a call to creativity. And again, it's why our company exists. I mean, our founders, um, you know, Will Mitchell is our, our CEO. I mean, he, he went around to trade shows like this, uh, you know, a decade ago and started realizing there was this emerging need because of the amount of data that was going into network planning, design, operating and construction, construction and operating. And, and he saw an opportunity that, you know, and uh, he, he sort of understood that spreadsheets were not, not going to be capable of growing with the, the requirements for, for this, this space. That's just one example. Uh, there's, there's lots of other solutions that are being developed um, that will have to help deal with the, the data situation. But again, how we deploy new technologies and, and, and operate and sort of maintain and manage those, the sort of smart city applications come to mind, uh, auto, uh, autonomous cars, vehicles, all of these will be feeding data just constantly back and forth through these systems. Crazy. Uh, perfect place to end it. I want to thank you guys um, for an absolutely uh, awesome visit. Really appreciate you guys just breaking things down for for the listeners and myself. I mean, let's be honest, it's all for me because I'm. You know, it's it's great though, but really appreciate you guys' time. Thank you so very very much. Thanks, Joe. Good to be with you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Joe. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Broadband Bunch. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Mm-hmm.